Appreciate Brother Clay's prayer. Uh, if you weren't here for the Bible class hour, I will be uh, flying on Wednesday uh, after school. I'll drive down to Atlanta Airport and fly from Atlanta to Houston. I stay the night with Wade Webster, the person I'm going to Mexico with. We'll stay at his house and then fly Thursday morning to Mexico, have a pretty lengthy layover in Monterey, and then go down to Villamosa, and then drive down to Palenque and be on a lecture ship down there uh, that weekend, and then uh, come back on Tuesday, and then I'll be back in Georgia on Wednesday, Lord willing. So I definitely covet your prayers as I'll be traveling and uh, preaching and uh, seeing brethren that we haven't seen in a while because of COVID, so very excited about these opportunities that we've been able um, to do and that we've been able to miss uh, due to the pandemic. Uh, definitely want your uh, feedback, as Brother Juan said, on the uh, outline. If you like this, let me know. If you if it's too many blanks, let me know. Um, if it's not enough blanks, let me know. But I tried to kind of keep a balance so you can follow me and fill in the blanks as we go this morning. On January 20th, 1961, was a year that this nation holds every four years as a very it's a very special day in our nation. It is where the president-elect stands before a group of people gathered in front of the United States Capitol building to take what we call as the oath of office. And the president-elect puts his hand on God's Word and holds up his right hand and he takes that oath from one of the Supreme Court justices. And on that day in January 20th, 1961, John F. Kennedy, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, took that oath of office to become the 35th President of the United States. And during his inaugural speech, as he just became the President, he gave probably what most people know from that quote, and it's probably one of the most famous lines, I believe, or the most, one of the most well-known quotes from any inaugural address, and that is, don't ask what this country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. And there on that day when he gave that line, he was urging Americans to see how they could be beneficial to our American society, how that they could be a member, a citizen of the United States, and how that they could help their own nation. You know, it's sad today that people don't look what they can do for their own country, but they look what they can get from the country themselves, what kind of benefits, what kind of uh, gimmicks they could get from the government that they can use in their own lives. This morning, I don't want us to look at what we can do for our country, but I want to change that quote just a little bit to help us focus in on what do I give this congregation. Instead of asking, what do you give your country, I want you to think about this, my fellow Christians... Don't ask what you can do for the church, but ask what you can do for the church. Don't ask what the church can do for you, but ask what you can do for the church. I mean, think about it. Why do people go to the church that they do? Oh, well, they got a really, really great youth program. Well, you know what? That preacher over there, oh, he is such an eloquent speaker. He is good. Oh, man, you, you got to come hear that rock band. They, they are great. You know, you, you look and ask reasons why people go to the church that they go to. Even within the Lord's church. Well, why do you go to that church? Well, you know, they, they really helped me in, in this. And they got Bible bingo. And they got this program. And they got this program. But friends, that's not what we need to look at as a member of the Lord's church. We need not ask what the church can do for us. But we need to ask, what can I do to help the church? How can I be a member of the Lord's church and how can I 
help this out. People look at what the church has to offer them, but instead we need to look at what we can give to the church. And that's what I want us to do this morning as we continue this series, one chapter epistles of the New Testament. This morning we're in the book of 3 John. And as you read the book of 3 John, you're going to see really three characters, but I'm going to pull out four and we're going, we can relate somehow, some way to each of these characters. Now, when we look at these, these three primary, the four uh, being the author, each of them gives something to the local church. Now, some of them are going to be good. Really, only one of them are going to be bad. And, and when we look at this, we need to be asking, am I, am I being beneficial to helping of the Lord's church? Or am I, am I hurting and neglecting and causing harm to the Lord's church? Because one of them really is as we look at these four characters. So let's begin looking at this book. Number one, our first character is John. What was it that John gave to the local church? John gave a loving attitude. John gave a loving attitude. Now, of course, we know this is the author of this book. You see there in verse number one, the elder unto the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Now, we know the elder there is the same person that we've referred to last time I was here when we looked at Second John, the elder unto the elect lady and her children. So we know that this is the same author. Uh, we know that there's some internal evidence and external evidence that points to John. And one of them is the word that he uses over and over and over again in this book, in any writing of John, and that is love. When you think about John, of course you think that he is an apostle, but what, what apostle is he? He is the apostle of love. He is the, he is the apostle whom Jesus loved. John had a great emphasis that he put on love because he understood that love is the passion and the desire that moves forward in the things. Now, now notice from this book of 3 John, the word love or beloved is used four times there. We've already noticed it in verse number 1. Verse number 2, notice how he opens it up. He says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Down to verse number 5, Beloved, whatever you do faithfully, do it to strangers and to brethren. And then again in verse number 11, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. What, is, what do you see here that John gave? John gave a loving attitude. He gave an attitude that was full of love, that was full of compassion towards his own Kind, we need to have a loving attitude as well. John gave that loving attitude. He gave us an example for that we may be able to follow after him. But what do I need to love? How can I, how can I have a loving attitude? Number one, you can have a loving attitude towards God Almighty. Towards God Almighty. Hold your spot here in the book of 3 John because we're going to come right back to it. But go over to the book of Matthew. Notice what Jesus said concerning loving God. Loving um, and having our priorities in line. Matthew chapter 23. Look at what Jesus said beginning in verse number 36. Matthew 22. Matthew 22 and verse number 36. Down to verse number 39. Notice what it says. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in all the law? Now no, notice what this, this man is asking that is coming to Jesus. Now we, we understand that in verse 35 in this context, that he has come testing him. He is coming to tempt him, trying to trip him up. He says, teacher, which is the greatest, which is the most important commandment? And that of the commandments he's talking about is a mosaical, all the mosaical dispensation. Which one is the greatest that we need to keep? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now notice that there. What is he saying? you got to be all in. 
You know, many, many times on football teams and, and things like that, they'll have, they'll have t-shirts that say all in. All in. What are they talking about? You gotta be all in to be a part of this team. You gotta be fully committed to do whatever it is. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, hey, you, you can't love two masters. Matthew 20, uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 24. Either you'll love one and despise the other. You cannot love God and man. But God says, hey, you have to love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. You, you got, you got to put Him at the forefront of everything that you do. I, I mentioned that I was speaking on this lectureship in Mexico and uh, one of the topics that was given to me was church attendance. And of course, it's, my emphasis is on being a good example, but friends, the issue with church attendance is because people don't love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. They make excuses, but if we give a loving attitude towards the church, if we love God with all our heart, guess what? Everything else is going to fall in line. If I love the Lord God with all my heart, there's no question where I'm going to be on Sunday morning if I'm able to be there. There's no question where I'm going to be on Wednesday night because I love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, and mind. But if I put other things in front of it like the world does today with ball games and, and activities, guess what? I'm saying I love those things more than God. And I'm violating God's law and I'm not showing my love towards that. But secondly, yes, I understand I have to have a loving attitude towards God because if, if I don't have that right, then nothing else is going to be right. But secondly, I have to have a loving attitude attitude towards my church family. I have to have a loving attitude towards my church family. Notice, notice they are continuing in Matthew chapter 23. Jesus said, this is the first one. And then verse 38, the second is like, or excuse me, this is the first and greatest commandment. Verse 39, the second is like unto it, you shall love the neighbor as yourself. And who is my neighbor? My neighbor can be my brothers and sisters in Christ, right? He teaches that with the parable of the Good Samaritan. He teaches that my neighbor is those that, that I need to go and do likewise unto, those that, that need help, those that are outside the body of Christ and showing compassion and love towards them. But what about a loving attitude towards the church? Because what we're asking this, this morning, what do I give towards this church? Number one, i got to give a loving attitude towards God. But secondly, as Jesus teaches here, i got to give a loving attitude towards my church family. Towards my church family. We looked at this verse last week, but I want to look at it again. Go with me to John, the gospel according to John. John chapter 13, beginning there in verse number 34. We looked at this because John emphasizes it in, verse, in 2 John verse number 6 by saying, I haven't given you a new commandment, but an old one. And what was that old commandment that he's given them? He's given this, the commandment of Jesus here in Matthew 13, beginning in verse number 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you should love one for another. That you also love one another. By this, all my disciples will know you are my disciple if you have love one for another. Friends, if I don't love my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm not being a disciple, a follower, a learner, a, 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 a leader of Christ. I have to have my love one for another. I want to ask you this morning, are you giving that loving attitude? Hebrews 13 and verse number 1 there where the Hebrew writer is, is kind of getting towards the end of his letter. He, clo- he starts that last chapter by saying this, let brotherly love continue. You know, there are different types of words for love in the Greek New Testament. There's 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 the word for agape, which is the love that, that God has towards us, that godly love. There is um, 
eros love, which is the relationship type love. But there's a love there in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, that is a very special love, and that's the love we need to have one towards another. And that is brotherly love. Let brotherly love continue. We've got to have love within the church. We've got to have unity within the church. We've got to have love one towards another as Jesus has commanded us to have. So I want to ask you this morning, what do you give this congregation? Do you give this congregation a loving attitude just like John gave? All right, let's go back to the book of 3 John. And let's notice our second character. Our second character is godly Gaius. Godly Gaius. Now, when you look at godly Gaius, we're going to look at three things that he gave. Now, all the other ones, the next two that we look at are just going to give one thing. But godly Gaius is, is kind of the bulk of this letter. It's, it's who this letter is written to. As you can see in verse 1, the elder, of course, referring to John, to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. So let, let's notice, number one, what did godly Gaius give? He gave, number one, a healthy soul. A healthy soul. Look at verse number 2. He says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Notice here as we look at this idea that godly gave, godly Gaius gave a healthy soul. Number one, he prayed, Gaius prayed, he prayed that Gaius may prosper. That's the first thing that he prayed. And notice what he says there. I pray that you may prosper in all things. Now, most likely what the context is pointing to is praying that, that you may prosper financially. That you, that you may be able to, to have some wealth. I don't know the, the physical, uh, wallet, the physical condition of, of Gaius's wallet, but maybe he was in financial trouble. Maybe he, he was without a job. I don't know what, what kind of relate, uh, status he was in, but Gaius was praying, hey, I, I pray that your, that your financial wealth may prosper. Secondly, he prayed that he may prosper in good health. You know, it's important to pray for good health. We, we had prayer this morning for people that are sick, that, that they may get better. And that's what we need to pray. We need to pray for even people that are in good health, that they may remain in good health, that they may continue to have that good health in the service of the Lord. But this is the point I want you to notice from verse number two. He prayed for financial wealth. He prayed for number two, physical health. But notice this phrase, just as your soul prospers. That is, but only if his soul prospers. Yes, I want you to have financial, I want you to be in health, just as your soul prospers. You know, you can log into an app, you can go to the bank and say, I want to know how much money I have in my bank account. You can go to the doctor and say, give me a physical. I want to know a status on my health. And you can get indicatings of those two things. You can know exactly how much money you have. You can kind of get an idea of, of your health and where you stand with that. But where is your barometer speaking spiritually? Are you rich spiritually? Are you giving a lot to the Lord's church in its in your talents? How about your health? Your physical your spiritual health? How is your barometer there? What what if your bank account was dependent upon your spiritual health? How much money would you have? How much? How, how good would your health be if it was it was an indication of your spiritual health? Because that's what John here is praying for. Gazing says, "I may, I, I pray that you may prosper. I pray that you may be in good health, but only if your soul is prospering. Is your soul prospering this morning? Are you giving a healthy soul to the Lord's church? 
There's some sick people in the Lord's church because they're just kind of like dead weight. They're just there. They're not giving anything to the church. We need to be in good health because we want our soul to prosper as well. Secondly, the second thing I want us to notice is a faithful soul. Faithful soul. Notice this in verses 3 and verse number 4 of this book of 3 John. He says, For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in truth. I have no greater joy than to hear my children walking walk in truth. Number one, I want you to notice that Gaius gave a faithful soul because the truth was in Gaius. Now the truth, spiritually speaking, is the Word of God. John 17, 17, there where Jesus says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So we notice, number one, the truth was in Gaius. But because the truth was in Gaius, guess what that means? He Secondly, Gaius walked in truth. See, that's the difference between application, excuse me, instruction and application. And, that, and that's the point I want to emphasize here. When we look at Gaius gave a faithful soul, this is point number three in your outline under faithful soul. This is the difference between instruction and application. You can know something, but guess what? You don't have to apply it. You know what Gaius did? The truth was in Gaius, and therefore the truth came out of Gaius. That means he walked in the truth. You can know the Bible. You can know what the Bible says concerning living a Christian life, but you can reject it and not follow it. The truth can be in you, but you're not walking in truth. That's the difference between instruction and application. You know the sad thing is, atheists know the Bible. They know what the Bible says. They know the Bible better than some Christians because they study it and they want to know the, the, the skeptics' view of it and they want to study it to know those things. They know the Bible, but they're not walking according to the Bible. Friends, we got in order to have a faithful soul, we have to, number one, know the truth. John, Jesus said that you shall know the truth and the truth is going to set you free, John 8 and verse number 32. But we have to walk in truth. Psalms 119 and verse number 11, there where the psalmist said, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Why is it that we need to have a faithful soul? It's so that we won't sin against God. Why is it that we need to have the truth in us and hide it in our hearts so we can apply it and that we might not sin against God? Psalms 119 verse 105, Your word have I hid in my heart, or excuse me, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You want to walk in the paths of Jesus? How are you going to do that? By following God's Word. Because it is our light that leads us to the light. John 8 and verse 12, and that is Jesus. Jesus is the light, the way, the truth, and the life. And He is the light of the world there. So we see number one, Gaius gave a healthy soul. Gaius gave number two, gave a faithful soul. But number three, Gaius gave a benevolent soul. Gave a benevolent soul. So now the word benevolent is one that we understand in the church. It's one that many times people don't understand, but it's giving a giving of things and items to those who are in need. Giving of those things that we have to those that are in need. Now look at look at what the text said from verse number five down to verse number eight. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do to the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well. Because when they went forth for His namesake, taking nothing of the Gentiles, we therefore ought to receive such 
that we might become fellow workers of the truth. Fellow workers of the truth. Now notice notice what this context is talking about. Verse 5, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren. Those are that. Those are inside of Christ. And to strangers, those that are outside of Christ. It, here, it, here it also could even refer to those who are members of the congregation in which you are a member of, Gaius, and those that you have never met before, those, those literal strangers that are members of the body of Christ. I could see both of these being applicable. Look at verse 6. Who have borne of your love before the church, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy God you dwell, because you send them forth in His name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. Now, anytime you see the word the Gentiles used in the New Testament, most of the time, it's talking about non-Christians. Notice what it says, because they went forth on their namesake, taking nothing from the non-Christian. Now, I'm going to say this just so you understand it, and I'm doing it biblically. Why is it that the Lord's church does not do bake sales, have garage sales, and do those kind of things like we see in the denominational world? Because we don't need the devil's money doing the Lord's work. The Lord gave a pattern for us to give. 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 through 2. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And that is a, a free will offering. A, a giving of, of our monetary means on the first day of the week as we give authorized to. And we take those funds to spread the borders of the kingdom and do the work of the church. We don't need those the people's money from the outside giving in to help spread the, the, the sake of the gospel. Then verse number 8, We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow workers of the truth. Three things I want you to notice here. Uh, th- th- these three points come from Guy and uh, Wood's commentary on the book of Third John. Three things that they did that was during their time on the day that they helped missionaries. Number one, the host would get, get you started on your way. You know, what they would do is maybe they had to walk a certain distance and the person that they were staying with or the person that was helping them would get them walking walking a certain distance and they would get going there and they would help them get on their way. Secondly, another custom of the day, would they would give them money and food for the trip. Maybe they would, maybe they would cook them a meal in their home and, and, and send them off after that meal. Maybe they would give them... Uh, some things to take back with them that they could eat during their journey. Maybe they would give them money so that they could, uh, you know, get back home. And number three was bid them Godspeed. And that is simply saying, God bless you. How can we help missionaries today? You know, we see the custom during their time. But what about today? How can I have a benevolent soul towards missionaries? Number one, host them. Host them in your home. If there's a missionary that, that's coming, host them in your home. That's, that's what they did there during their time. They would host them and, and get them started on their way. Maybe a missionary's coming through and you can feed them a meal. Maybe you can get them going on their way by taking them to the airport, to the bus stop, to get them to their next destination. We need to do that for missionaries. Number two, we can sponsor them. I'm thankful for your uh, contributions here at White Oak to support preachers in foreign lands. And what are you doing then? You're sponsoring them. You're helping them be supported of the gospel so that you can be able to send them forth in a godly manner, as this text says. And number three, make sure you encourage them. Encourage them. Let them know they're loved. Let them know they're appreciated. 
Because it's a hard life being a missionary. One of my best friends that I've known was a missionary. And he needed encouragement. And I'm thankful that I was there with him a lot of the time to give him encouragement. How can I help missionaries? Host them, sponsor them, and encourage them. Because if I do those three things, this is the thing I want you to take. Look again at verse number 8 of Third John. We therefore ought to receive such, now notice this next phrase, that we might become fellow workers of the truth. You know when you give financially to somebody that is a missionary or give financially to a work of the church, you know that you are a part of that church, you are a vital part of that church, of that work of the Lord, because you are fellow helpers, you are fellow workers for the truth, as this text says. If you give money to GBN, you're a fellow worker with that program because you're helping spread that gospel. You know, I've been blessed to go on several different missionary campaigns and people have helped me on, on those ways. And you know what you, you, we, I, I tell them? You are a vital part of my work because we are fe- fellow workers for the kingdom. And I wouldn't be able to do that if it was not for their contributions. I remember this quote when I heard somebody preach on 3 John. It was Cliff Goodwin. He said this about verse number 8. We might not be able to go in person, but we can go in purse. We might not be able to go in person. You might not be able to physically go to Mexico. You might not be able to physically, and you might not have the desire to go to Nicaragua, Honduras, Costa Rica. But you can go in purse, helping that missionary get there and do the work there in that country. Might not be able to go in person, but we can go in person. What was it that Gaius gave? He gave a healthy soul, he gave a faithful soul, and he gave a benevolent soul. You give those three things to the church? Can, can you say, I, I'm like Gaius and I am godly because I help the local church in one of those three areas? But number two, looking at verse number nine and verse number ten... We're going to change gears and we're going to look at dangerous diatrophies. Dangerous diatrophies. And this is point number three from our, from our lesson is dangerous diatrophies. What was it that dangerous diatrophies gave? He gave a hard time. Dangerous diatrophies gave a hard time. Look at verse number nine. He says, I wrote to the church, but diatrophies who love to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will come to mind his deeds, which he does, parading against us with the malicious words, and does not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren and forbid those to wish to putting them out of the church. Dangerous doctrines. What was his problem? He had a pride problem. He had an arrogance problem. He had a problem with pride. Three things that pride and egotism does to the church, and we can see from this text. Number one, pride rejects authority. Pride rejects authority. Look at verse number nine. He says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence, he loves to have first place, he loves to be church boss. He loves to be the one in charge. Notice this, does not receive us. Now I want you to just think about the context of this letter just for a second. Who is the one writing this book? It is John. What was it that John had? He has. He was an apostle. So when he wrote to the church and when he was talking to the church, he was not doing it 
as a brother, but he was doing it with authority as an apostle. And you know what Diotrephes says? I'm not going to hear you on this matter. He rejected authority. John had authority in that situation because he had that authority from the Lord because he was an inspired man. But Diotrephes rejected him and did not want to receive him. Pride rejects authority. Why is it that we sin? Maybe because of pride. And we reject authority. Number two, pride slanders character. Pride slanders character. Look at verse 10. Therefore I will come to mind and receive his deeds, which he does, parting against us with malicious words. He was speaking evil about them. One thing that pride does is destroys others to make themselves look better, right? I mean, you know, you, you know those people. You, you work with those people. What do they do? Well, I'm bigger and better than you, so to make me look bigger and better than you, I'm going to talk bad about others. I'm going to beat down others. I'm, I'm going to destroy others. That's, that's not what we should have. That's dangerous for the Lord's church when we talk negatively about others, when we, when we uh, speak words of gospel, when we speak words that are malicious against others. And number three, another thing that pride and egotism does is it rips apart the church. There at the end of verse, two, verse 10, it says, putting them out of the church. I remember as a young boy that people ripped apart the church because of pride. Because they were ego, because they had an ego problem, because they had an authority problem, they had a slanderous problem, and the result was it ripped apart the church. It ripped apart the church. And friends, let's not be diatrophies. Let's not be a diatrophies. You might be thinking, you know, I don't, I don't have a pride problem, but how can you be dangerous like diatrophies? How can I give the church a hard time? Number one is an indifferent attitude. An indifferent attitude. Somebody once asked the, the preacher, you know, preacher, what's wrong with the church today? What, what's wrong with the church? And the preacher says, I don't know and I don't care. I don't know ignorance. I don't care indifference. And that's the problem. People just don't care about the Lord's church. People just don't care about helping the Lord's church grow. And friends, that is a big problem and we can be the diatrophies if we, if we do that. Number two, half-heartedness. Going back to our first point, John gave a loving attitude and we looked at the words of Jesus. We got to love Him with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind, with all our strength. But the problem is we're half-hearted. We give some, we, we, we take some, we're, we're just kind of lukewarm. We can go to Revelation chapter 3 and talk about the dangers of being lukewarm. The anti-attitude. The anti-attitude. The attitude of, no, nah, I'm not for it. I'm against it. If it ain't my idea, I'm, I'm not going to be for it. I've worked with those people. I've worked with those preachers. They're all on board if it's their work, but if it's not them, they're not going to support it. Friends, we need to be behind the work of the church and be with them, not be the anti-attitude against everything. And then we could also hurt the church by being having a discouraging attitude. A discouraging attitude. Hebrews 10 and verse 24 says the reason that we come together is to encourage one another. We don't need to be discouraging when we come together. We need to Build one another up, as First Thessalonians 5 and verse number 11 says. Look at verse number 11. Really, verse 11 is a transition verse. Okay, He's going to go from talking about dangerous diatrophies to going to talking about our last character, and that is diligent Demetrius. Diligent Demetrius. And I'm going to tell you what he gave here in just a second 
after I read verse number 11. Notice what it says, Beloved, John here saying, I love you. Beloved, notice this, Do not imitate that which is evil, but that which is good. You know what he's saying right there? Don't follow dangerous Demetrius. Don't do it. Or excuse me, dangerous diatrophies. Don't, don't follow him. He says, don't do it. Follow that which is good. He that does good is of God, but he that does evil has not seen God. I think the writer here, John, is saying, hey, Gaius, you have a, you have a choice to follow. You can follow dangerous diatrophies, or you can follow this man that I'm about to tell you, and his name is Demetrius. Diligent Demetrius, and he gave a good example. He gave a good example, and that's kind of what verse number 11 is getting at, is saying, hey, I'm going to give you two examples to follow after. You can, or, I'm going to give you two examples. I'm going to give you a good one, dangerous. The other one, good. Look at verse number 12. Demetrius has a good testimony among all and from the truth itself when we know, bear witness, and know that our testimony is true. What it's saying there is he gave a good example. If you ask about, if you went about town asking about this man, Demetrius, you know what they're going to say? That's a good man. He was living and teaching and telling and living his life as an example of Christ. And this is the point I want you to remember about diligent Demetrius. He, he was telling the way, he was pointing the way, and he was leading the way because he was a good example. He was telling the way by telling others and teaching others. He was pointing the way by saying this is the direction we're going to go, and then he was out in front leading the way by being that good example, by having the truth in him, and being bare of that truth. We understand we have to be a good example. Paul told the young evangelist Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12, Be thou a good example to the believers. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Paul, Paul said, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. How can I be a good example? How can I be a good example? Number one, by, by attending the Lord's church. By being here every time the doors are open. You know what you're doing there? You're being a good example. You're illustrating that in your life. You're showing where your priorities are. Number two, by being enthusiastic. We said a way we can give the church a hard time is by having a discouraging attitude, but one that we can help have help the church is having an enthusiastic attitude, have, being excited about the Lord's church. And number three, as my time has expired, being involved in extracurricular activities. You know, as a teacher, it's not just teaching that I do at the school. It's not, it's not a 745 to 345 job. But I'm involved in extracurricular activities. I coach football. I help out with basketball by running the clocks. I, I'm involved in assistant athletic director by going to different banquets, being involved in different sporting events, helping out with different clubs. What do we call those things? Extracurricular activities. A way you can be a good example is by being involved in extracurricular activities, not just showing up to church services but being involved outside of church, inviting others, being involved in Bible studies, coming to different Bible classes that, that is offered here at the church on, during the week. And you can be a good example by those things. So I ask you this morning, which one of these can you identify most with? Can you identify with godly Gaius, dangerous Diotrephes, or diligent Demetrius? Which one can you relate to the most? Maybe you're here this morning and you... Say, you know what, I need to repent of things because I haven't been giving anything beneficial to the church. You can come this morning 
and confess that fault because God is faithful and just to forgive you. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not involved in the church. You can join the Lord's army this morning by becoming a New Testament Christian. That is, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, confessing of your sins, being buried in water to grab a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. If we can help you in any way this morning, come now together we stand and as we sing.